Headquarters to all units. Headquarters to all units. All units stand by for On Patrol with the PPD, airing now on WTBR 89.7 FM. Good morning. Thanks for tuning in to another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television. Today is Friday, February 26, 2021. Uh, I, my name is Mike Wynn. I am both one of the co-host and co-producers of this weekly radio show and the chief of police here in the city of Pittsfield, Massachusetts. I'm joined in studio this morning by Lieutenant Gary Traversa. Good morning. The Cops Bureau. Good morning, Lieutenant. How you been? I'm doing well. And we have some special guests joining us this morning uh, from the department's field training and evaluation program, field training officer Alex Sawicki and his probationary officer, Officer Kyle Dubay. Welcome, gentlemen. Thanks for joining us. I know I've said it for the. All right, I just I have to put this out there, Dave. If you're listening, we got to figure out what we're going to do with this camera angle and this mic arm. It's it's killing me. All right. Anyhow, thanks for tuning in this morning. Uh, That's enough of my complaining about the setup in the studio. It'll be fixed overnight. There's like elves here. Every time I mention something, they fix it before I leave. Um, I've said it for the last several weeks. I'm done with the weather. I'm done. I'm fed up. I've had it. I'm out. Right. My yard is a disaster. Sidewalks are a disaster. One of my training partners at the dojo last night was teasing me because I haven't posted about going for a ruck march. I'm honestly afraid to like head out on Outer Barker Road because the snowbanks are so high. I'm done. It's time for spring. I don't know. I, I don't mind if it's just snow. With a little bit of melt-off and the wee bit of rain that we had uh, this week, it, it turns into a little bit of ice. But, um, yeah, I... The snow, I don't mind, but it, once you get to a point, right about now. <laughs> well, you're a skier, so yeah, yeah. It, All right, I'm I'm not. <laughs> right. I took my snowshoes out once this year. All right, enough. Um, big news, you, Lieutenant. You and I have been exchanging uh, emails with Mr. Lamoureux from the school district. Uh, kids are going back to school. Yeah, following school buses on the way to the studio this morning. Yeah, that's a step in the right direction, a positive development. Yeah. So. I, um, I mean, I was looking at uh, the the state dashboard the other day, and I mean, Berkshire County is in good shape. Yeah, we're you know? we're leading the way in many many things. All right, so the other noteworthy news item: we don't have anybody from public health here to do a, a public health report. Uh, Doctor Kohlberg has re-retired. Uh, he's stepping back from the, the medical advisor position with the city's COVID task force. That's well-deserved. Um, he has been an outstanding asset, and we wish him well. I think he's in Colorado. He was headed out to see his kids and grandkids. His family out there, yeah. yeah. Um, and then also, you know, from this morning's Eagle, if you, to check it out, if you didn't get the news yesterday, and I bet almost everybody got the news because we've been, you know, sitting on the edge of our seats waiting, um, the governor announced that we're moving into the next phase of the reopening plan. Right? So um, lifted the restrictions on capacity in restaurants. That's a big one. Increasing the capacity for gyms uh, and increasing the capacity and reopening um, performance venues. And then relative to a conversation you and I had in the hallway, I think it was Wednesday or yesterday, summer camps are back. Yes. They, camps are back. They've got to be happy about that. I don't, I don't think many people 
who reside in the area who don't work in that industry understand what a huge economic driver that is for some segments of the population here in Berkshire County. Uh, it's, it's massive. And we're blessed to have some really, really beautiful summer camps. But, um, you know, some of our, I, I attended, you know, su- several summer camps in Berkshire County when I was a child. But some of the summer camps here are high end. Like when you think about um, some of the, you know, the, the movies. I don't even remember what the name of it is. The, the like princess goes to camp there from the 80s but i mean they're these are high-end camps these kids are coming from all over the world yeah so i I don't know if people realize that they're they're they recruit counselors oh yeah you know i we actually have a friend uh a couple that the he they met there well he came from texas yeah to to attend uh or to be a counselor and and that's happily ever after. Well, one of my fondest memories, they probably don't remember it as fondly, but um, remember we were doing a uh, one-team, one-mission operation a couple of years ago, and we got the bus full of Brits who had come down from the mountains. They were at the A, all with uh, fraudulent underage IDs. I think Detective Bertelli actually stumbled across them. She sees 37 IDs. <laughs> it's a good night for us. It was a bad night for that bus full of Brits, British kids. Um, anyhow, you know, high-end camps to the point where when I was a new operator with the special response team, we would put together dignitary protection plans for some of these principals. Yeah. You know, we're talking diplomats and, and heads of states, children hanging out in the Berkshires. So, yeah. Um, you know, we haven't had to do that in a while, but it's not like the Shah of Iran's kid who's at Williams or something. No, it's, it's somebody else that we don't know about. <laughs> That's right. All right, enough of that. Um, good stuff going on. Everybody's, I think everybody's kind of happy to see that we're we're going to gradually start the reopening of the Commonwealth. But we have guests in studio. Yeah. So let's get to that. Absolutely. Hi, guys. <clears throat> Chief, How's it going? You look nervous. <laughs> Fix your I'm collar. Good. I'll pick it up. Oh, geez. I'm like a wreck. <laughs> you guys had, what, like 12, 16 hours notice that you were coming out here? If that. Yeah, that's, yeah, more, yeah. Than, that's more than we normally give our guests. <laughs> Usually I call into the desk and I'm like, have this unit meet me at the Frederico Drive. So, a whole maybe. day, that's a bonus. Yeah, that's a right? huge <laughs> bonus. <laughs> so, let's start with you, Officer Dubay. Uh, brand new out of the academy. We talked to your classmate last week about uh, being the pandemic class. I mean, our, our last class got pulled out of training at the beginning of the pandemic and had to go virtual and kind of work with me over a second street for a little while. But your entire experience onboarding through graduation was all during the pandemic. Yes, sir. That had to be a little different. It was. You started, it was. Your class started, what, 27 people? Yeah, I believe we had 27 or 25. And, there was. and then there were not. You were down to like 20 within a week. Right. And you only graduated, what, 16? 17. 17. Um, so you guys, is, how many women were in your class? Uh, we had one throughout the, okay. whole, the right. whole academy. So that has to be, uh, that probably is the first time since my class 26 years ago that, that there were that few women in the class. Uh, there were none in mine, which was an anomaly then. And so to have a group go through with only one woman in the class has got to be different. Um, you, you have to be the tightest knit group of police recruits to come through Western Mass in probably a decade. Right. Um, so that's, that's cool. 
So uh, let's let's rewind the clock. Tell us a little bit about you. Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? What sports did you play? What do you like? So I was born and raised in Pittsfield. <clears throat> I've lived here all my life. Uh, not really any plans of moving out anytime soon. So well, that's good. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> um, so I grew up playing lacrosse. Went to Pittsfield High. And we won't hold that against you. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you do after high school? Uh, so I ended up going to college. I was a mechanic before this. Okay. Uh, I went to Hudson Valley. Got my associate's degree there. Got it. I should know that. I was just reading your resume. <laughs> um, what type so, of mechanic? Uh, it's basically like a general mechanic. Did a lot of diesel work, uh, transmission work, that kind of stuff. It's the kind of thing we need to put in the back of our heads. That's right. right. <laughs> We're going to have that conversation about special skills you might have again. Perfect. So this, Sounds good. I don't talk about this very much. Like, you know... I run into people, not as often anymore, but I run into people in the community, and they're like, oh, you know, you're, you came to the police academy, or you came to the police department, but you went to Williams, blah, blah, Like, they, they think that my life started when I went to Williams, right? When I was a kid, my stepfather was a long-haul truck driver, and when he decided to come off the road, he, we, he had already purchased to keep our trucks there um, a fairly large garage in Lee. And I spent most of my middle school and high school vacations and summers working as either a diesel you know, diesel shop or eventually we converted it to a tire and muffler shop. And so people are like, oh, yeah, you never had a real job. I'm like, yeah, I used to work. That's hard work. It is. Right? <laughs> and, I mean, not even the, the actual skill, because I, I, I'm not a trained mechanic. I was like the mechanic's helper. But not even the skill of working on the cars, just moving the stuff in the garage, right? A, 55-gallon drum of oil is heavy. That's this back-breaking work. So I can understand why you decided maybe you wanted to do something else for a living. Right. Um, so I guess what, like a scrub in the grease <clears throat> on my hands every day. It was awful. It, it never all comes off. <laughs> it doesn't. Not even with Gojo. <laughs> so what made you decide you wanted to be a police officer? So I always kind of thought that, um, you know, I enjoyed being a mechanic. It was a good career, but I kind of felt that I needed to do more, especially for my community. Um and especially in the trying times we are now, I think we need more good officers, and I think I can fill that role. So That's interesting. Tell me why. Why do you think that? I just, all my life, been told I'm pretty level-headed and I'm pretty good at, like, escalating my, or uh, navigating my way around situations. And Nice. Awesome. So, you're a Pittsfield resident, Sir. born and bred, so that we don't have to ask you why the Pittsfield Police Department, because obviously we're your hometown police department, and that's great for us. Um, before before we kind of move on to your academy experience and now field training, you've only been out of the academy in like three weeks now, so I'm sure that it's a whirlwind. You probably haven't had much time to like just decompress and relax since we threw you into training. <laughs> when you do get a chance to step back on your personal time, what do you like to do? What do you like to do to relax or unwind? I still enjoy doing mechanic work. So I have, you know, I'll work on my truck and I have some cars that we race over at Lebanon Valley and uh, another racer. <laughs> another <laughs> racer. Nice. So I enjoy doing like, that kind of stuff. Awesome. Yeah. So we we probably should, you know, drop a line to Captain Kirchner and just say, "Oh yeah, by the way, when we've got, you know, last minute problems with the fleet or can't find <laughs> Kevin, just reach out for Kyle. All right. Um, so talk a little bit about your time in the academy. You know, what, what was that like, particularly in light of the pandemic? So the first couple of days, especially the first week, were kind of a blur. Um, it, was just, it was such a drastic change in life. And 
there was just so much going on that it was kind of just more focused of just getting through the day. And um, <clears throat> but after the first couple of weeks, kind of you get into that routine, and it I wouldn't say it becomes easy, but you become used to it, and you kind of actually start to enjoy it. It was. It was a good experience. I'm, I'm going to have to have a conversation with the director. You're not supposed to enjoy it <laughs> after a few um, weeks. So. But, but it is a it's a significant change. Yes. Um, you know, there's a lot of information up front. It's kind of likened sometimes to trying to get a drink out of a fire hose. Right. Uh, and it's that's deliberate. It has to be that way. We've talked about it on the program a little bit in the past, but well, particularly in the Western Mass Academy, you know. I wouldn't say that we've fully gone um, to a college model. It's it's a little bit different than the academy was, say, when the lieutenant or, or I went, a little, little less intense on some end. But the reality is you signed up to join a uniformed paramilitary organization. And if you've never been in the military, you've never served with another police department before, that transition from civilian life to uniformed paramilitary is drastic. It's it you know, I don't. I, I was responding to an email from a from a resident earlier this week, and I I don't think people understand this notion that when you agree to serve in a paramilitary organization, you put on a uniform, subjecting yourself to a chain of command and a set of internal rules and regulations is drastically different than just going to work normally. Um, you know, we we had some emails. Re- going back and forth about something last week and I responded to the officer and I'm like listen not for nothing I don't see your commanders copied on this threat so I have no problem with what you want to do but you can't ask me this without notifying your lieutenant and your captain um, you know and when you're in field training it's even more drastic because now your field training officer is an element of your chain of command so we have to make sure before we bring somebody out and we drop them in the field training that they can make that switch, and that's one of the purposes the academy serves, is kind of indoctrinating you into this idea of the chain of command and adherence to the chain of command, which in our day-to-day operations, not that big a deal. But we don't plan for our day-to-day operations. We plan for those days when everything is going off the rails and it's the worst possible situation. And then chain of command becomes very, very important. So... um, the first two weeks were a blur and then you settle into it and actually enjoy your because it's a learning environment right, right. Um, <clears throat> I didn't have the opportunity excuse me <clears throat> to spend any time with your class but when I do go down as academy instructor one of the and the staff instructors laugh because they know I was a staff instructor so they know I'm used to dialing up the heat and tuning people up but one of the first things I do when the staff instructors turn the class over to me is I tell all the students to stand up and shake out their head and neck and shake out their arms and shoulders and grab a couple of sips of water and just breathe and sit back down because I usually get them right after morning PT and they're cranked up. Nobody can learn. <laughs> Officer Sawicki's laughing, he remembers. Nobody can learn when they're, when, no, no adults can learn when they're that cranked up and tense. And so you've got to break, kind of, you know, break the mindset and get them into adult learning modality but i always remind the class that whether or not they get to enjoy that privilege of being treated like an adult learner is entirely up to them right because i'm fully capable of reverting back staff instructor mode and cranking it back up if i need to Uh, nobody wants that right 
but uh the academy is a weird weird environment i'll you can you'll never you won't appreciate this this close to completing it's weird as a student don't get me wrong what you went through as a student uh is is stressful and phenomenal it's worse as a staff instructor like when you go back and you're going through your third fourth fifth academy it's it's insane like the amount of effort that you have to because you know it can tell, it's a secret now, right? The the staff instructors they're playing a role, right? They're, they're, that is not who they are in their real life. They have to go in there and, and set this this model. And I tell people when I was uh, on the staff, it took me the entire drive an hour down there to kind of get into my headspace and get into staff instructor sergeant win. Uh, but it took me two hours to turn it off. Like that first hour after I got home, I had to just kind of self-isolate. You don't want to go home like that. <laughs> well, I, I did, right? <laughs> I'm not going to say that that's entirely owing to my divorce, but my ex would say, for the first hour you're back, just go be by yourself. Because it, it's it's not the way we normally operate. Yeah. So, um, so what was your favorite class in the academy? Oh, that's a tough, tough question. So we're going to eliminate firearms and driving. Oh, okay. And, and we'll take DT <laughs> off the table because I think that's all we all, you know, we enjoy those. Academically, what do you think your favorite class was? Because you're in the new model now, right? So you got these right. chapter modules. <clears throat> um, I think the one I took the most away from was probably in the, uh, like crime scene investigations and just the investigations in general. Nice. Um, that, was, that was a good class and the, the instructors were really good so who'd you have for investigations we had investigator bassey okay yeah um they do a great job and was lieutenant souls your report writing instructor yes it was so i just don't want to draw some attention to that to our viewers and listeners i am incredibly proud of the amount of support that we the pittsfield police department are able to provide to our academy between lieutenant souls who teaches report writing and investigator bassey who goes down there um to do the crime scene and investigative stuff to officer gainer who is on the dt and firearms team uh use of force uh, and i'm not i'm sure i'm forgetting somebody from the department but we've got a lot of instructors who support that academy and then app when we send people down um the other thing that we had we have all the time, but it was it was very prominent in this class is just commanders who go down to do kind of check-ins and visual inspections. We had a ton of information coming back from our field commanders who they might be on a trip down to Sentry or Guardian and then just swing by there, see how it's going. And we're getting real-time feedback on it's one thing to get like a warning notice or an action notice from the academy because somebody had a bad day. It's another thing if I get a text message from a supervisor or commander who says, I'm standing here watching so-and-so and this is what's happening. So, okay, you know, we're going to have to work through that. Um, so it's, it's useful and it's, it's great for us as an agency to have that kind of relationship. All right, so you got out of the academy on February 5th. Yes, sir. We gave you a weekend off. <laughs> Did we give you the whole weekend off, or we make you report on Sunday? Uh, so we graduated Friday, we reported Saturday, okay, and then uh, we had the next weekend off, though. Got it. Um, and then you roll in the field training. So are you still in phase one? Or, yes, sir. Or, yeah. All right. So, Officer Swick is your primary, and we've talked about field training on the program in the past. So it's intended to be a fourteen-week program. 
three, four-week phases, uh, ideally one on each shift. doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes we have to adjust the shifts. And if everything goes well, that's followed by shadow phase, uh, an additional two-week period where you'll be back with your primary. Uh, primary will be in plain clothes strictly as an observer instead of as a trainer. And uh, then we'll see how you go. Hopefully you get through this unscathed and you go into solo patrol. So let's shift gears a little bit. We'll talk to the training officer, Officer Sawicki. How long have you been with the field training program? Actually, this is, I just started. He's, Kyle is actually my first. So you just went through the field training officer program. End of November, beginning yeah. of December. So and we sent you to that one, right? Yes. It was one of the last schools we got to send people on the road for. So the field training officer school has evolved a lot since the time I went through FTO school. Um, but that is probably, of, of all of the trainings I've attended in my career, that's probably the one that made the most significant personal impact on me and changed me the most as a cop. Um, because when you take on that responsibility as a patrol officer, when, when I got recruited to be a field training officer, my chief, Chief Riello, uh, who is actually currently the interim chief in Dalton, he sat us down and he said, if you, so, if you decide to do this, you're essentially volunteering to be a supervisor. You are a supervisor of one two-officer unit for the duration of that time. And, and he made a commitment, which I think he made just because it was something that he thought would motivate us, but it proved to be very true. Successful field training officers almost inevitably are successful in their quest to become supervisors. The vast majority of our supervisors and commanders have done time as a field training officer. It's just great preparation for that. <clears throat> the idea that you're going to engage in a one-on-one -on -one interaction or relationship with somebody and teach them the ropes, show them what they need to know, <clears throat> that's great. We've got a lot of trainers and a lot of instructors. The difference in the field training officer program is you're not only responsible for that part, you're also responsible for 100% accountability and not not only having the conversations about the accountability but documenting it which when we see new supervisors who didn't go through the field training pipeline that's that's one of the things they're reluctant to do they they don't want to document bad performance they don't want to write stuff down field training officers get that they get that you know reluctance taken away right away so um let's talk about field training officer school just briefly because that's where are we? We got time in this half. Uh, so we've sent a pretty good group down this time, right? There was what six of you? We did. We had five of us, <clears> but a good group. Yeah. And where was the training? It was in Middleborough. Uh, MPI school or another vendor? Uh, yes, and right in their the department there is okay. Actually, beautiful, brand yeah. new department too. So, yeah. uh, don't you love it when you go to those places? <laughs> You walk in and you're like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> when we come back in the second half of the program, I'll tell you about a meeting I had yesterday that, you know, put a little smile on your face relative to that. There's nothing imminent coming, but it was good news. Um, so tell us about the field training school. So it was a week long. They were um, eight-hour days inside the classroom. We had Chief Stevens. I forgot what department he was in, but he was great. He was – it's – that type of material can – be kind of dull from time, dry. time to time but he had a very good way of kind of keeping us engaged through the entire program so he's if i don't know if it would be the same if it was with anyone else but it opens your eyes to a lot of things you're not used to looking for right 
did they use a lot of video to demonstrate a lot, it? A lot of video. Um, it at least I would say one every couple hours to keep you engaged and keep w- you was in. most was most of it now body cam and dash cam footage or was it a lot, a lot of, of body stuff? cam, a lot of dash cam, so, some commercial stuff, some you can tell much much older videos, but yeah. still. Everything so, to get the point across. When I went through field training officer school, dash cams were just kind of becoming common, and body cams weren't a thing yet. And I, I went to field training officer school with a, a legend in the field training community, uh, Coach Bruce Sokoloff, who actually wrote one of the textbooks on field training. And prior to field training school, I had uh, just abhorrence for the television show Cops. Like I, I thought it was just a horrific thing to to put out there in the public's eye and we used so many episodes of cops to do our our, our dors on that i really gained an appreciation for it because as officer Sawicki was saying you you're looking at the officer's performance with a different perspective you're not looking at it for entertainment value you're looking at it from an evaluative point of view and you can see even in like the commercially available stuff they're they're doing everything they can to get it right and the circumstances just don't let them win. And so now you have to decide, you know, is that the officer, the, the probationary officer's fault? Or is that just the reality of the job? Do they get dinged on that for failure? Or do they get credit for that because they kept trying to do the right thing? Um, it's it's an interesting balancing act. So five, uh, 40 hour, five day school, mm-hmm. tons of paperwork, right? A lot. It, yes. n- nobody does as much paperwork as field training officers. It's the it's one of the big downsides of the program, and then you you got back. You had a little bit of time to kind of you know transition in and, and wait for them to graduate, and you jumped into pr- probation phase one. Uh, what three weeks ago? We are only in <clears throat> week two. Week yeah, two. Week two. Okay. I would say just our eighth day. All right. Yeah. Um. So. We talked about the. I don't remember who was out here. It, it wasn't a, a field training unit. It was just a field training officer. Um, how long have you been on the job now? Five years. And you you work some directed patrol stuff, but no special units yet, right? No, not yet. So you come to work when you're not in phase mm-hmm. pretty much every day and check in with your supervisor, do roll call if we can do roll call or get briefed in the garage if we're you know, doing COVID stuff. And then you get in your patrol car and you go away mm-hmm. by yourself for eight hours and unless something goes dramatically wrong you're going to handle your calls get back in your car and be by yourself Mm -hmm. and then you decide that you're going to be a field training officer and now for at least four weeks at a time for as many cycles as we can run in a year you're going to give up your personal space in your mobile office Mm -hmm. and put somebody else in your space Mm -hmm. that's the biggest switch our field training officers have to make right nobody else maybe the detectives and anti-crime rides multiple officer cars that's a huge shift so how are you doing with that just fine luckily because i i have him it's it's a big adjustment like you were saying it's it's definitely different from going somewhere where you have your own space to not you just don't really anymore but it's it's been honestly fine luckily like i said because of him we i mean you talk all all the time Yeah. yeah So we, you know, we talked about your your portables when you walked in here and the ever-present police radio, Officer Wick, Sawicki. When you're not in field training and you're on patrol, do you do you keep the the car radio like the entertainment radio? Are you somebody who keeps that on? I do, but very low. 
for me, it's just something. I mean, when I first started and I was on my first phase, it, there was no radio. It was not allowed. There's too many things going on. But um, eventually, over time, it's just it's just low. Just something to kind of keep you calm. So, who something. controls the radio? Right now, <laughs> we don't really have it on. Yeah. Uh, we when I came on the job, we didn't have field training. We had break in. Um, we they, we had just started sending people to field training officer schools, and they weren't through their development before I graduated. So essentially, we just were paired with senior officers, and we rode with them for several weeks at a time, for about the same length of time, rotating through the shifts. And that was probably the biggest thing. My first break in officer, who I eventually partnered with for a long time, he absolutely controlled the radio and there was no discussion about what type of music we were listening to when if there was one thing we fought about that was it um okay so you roll in first couple days just getting acclimated getting used to keeping this stuff on you all the time how many days before he let you drive uh i think i drove first second day second day second day day. yeah Mm -hmm. that's very liberal of you officer sawicki that's how i was Every time I did it the same way. Every field training officer I had, it was one day you watched, and then the next day you're driving. And then okay. I gauged it from there, and luckily there's, knock on wood, no issues. So. All right. It's 9.30. You're listening to On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM. We're going to get a check of the weather and a station identification and a couple PSAs, and we'll be back to continue this story about field training. And I'll tell you about the first day my break-in officer let me drive. WTBR radar weather for the Pittsfield area, today, mostly sunny. Highs in the upper 30s. West wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tonight, mostly clear in the evening, then mostly cloudy with a chance of snow after midnight. Cold with lows in the mid-20s. South wind 10 to 15 miles per hour. Chance of snow 40%. Saturday, snow in the morning. Rain. Snow accumulation around 10 inch. Highs in the lower 40s. South wind 10 to 15 miles per hour with gusts up to 25 miles per hour. Chance of precipitation 80%. Weather forecasts for WTBRFM are provided by the National Weather Service. Support for WTBR comes from Greylock Federal Credit Union, proud to support high school arts and sports programs to help our community thrive. Greylock Federal, with locations throughout the Berkshires and online at greylock.org. And from BeFair. BeFair is one of the largest premier human service agencies in Berkshire County. If you're looking for services for a loved one or are interested in caring for the people we support, visit BeFair.org today for available opportunities. Hi, this is Officer Darren Derby with the Pittsfield Police Department. Folks, unfortunately, drug use is a driving factor for a lot of crime taking place in our city. The most prevalent crime being theft. Please, take the extra time to ensure that your belongings are safe inside your vehicle. Do not leave anything of value in plain sight. Hide your belongings. Place them in your trunk or take anything of value out of the vehicle. Always keep your vehicle locked. Don't make it easy for them. This message is brought to you by the Pittsfield Police Department in cooperation with WTBR-FM. All right, so before you tell the story we discussed when we were off air, um, again, so when I came on, we didn't have the formal field training officer program. They just rotate us through these break-in officers, and one one of my first break-in officers, um, very reluctant, 
to to give up the driver's seat didn't didn't want me to drive and you, you can't train and get you know up to speed if you don't drive the patrol car right it's an essential function of what we do so i was working with this officer on the midnight shift and he finally gives up the driver's seat so i'm driving and we're heading down north street in the vicinity of tyler and a hot call comes in and so I, it was a fight call or something bar closing time so I'm reaching down to the console to start to activate the equipment and respond to this call. And he just looks at me and goes, stop the car. I said, excuse me? He goes, stop the car now. So I start to pull over. He goes, no, just stop in traffic. So I stopped the car in the middle of the road. He put it in park. He said, get out. So I get out. He comes around. He gets to the driver's seat. Get back in. And then he hits the lights and siren and off we go. I'm like, what the heck just happened? He was not ready to have somebody pursuit driving or emergency driving with him in the passenger seat yeah it's uh it's different i mean you you know you're out on your own and then all of a sudden you're you're really responsible for somebody that is um you know the, the academy is great training in the academy is is top notch but there's nothing like on the job training well you know there's a huge leap of faith that come, particularly when we talk about emergency driving or pursuit driving. So there's this huge leap of faith because you know that the students coming out of the academy are well-trained, but they're well-trained on a closed course with zero outside stimulus. There's no other cars coming onto that EVOC course. There's nothing out. I mean, they'll yell at you and scream at you and there's a car behind you, but there's nothing coming out in the intersections. The first time you're in a patrol car in the passenger seat, Knowing that there's traffic on the road and somebody that you probably didn't get to observe their evoc training is in control of this beast and you know driving fast, it's an uncomfortable feeling. Yeah, it's an incredibly uncomfortable feeling. Um, you know, it's been a long time since I, I was in the field training car and in a field training role. I think one time when I was a lieutenant. I backfilled for one of my officers so they could take Thanksgiving off. But other than that, it's been since 2000 right um and today like if i go you know if i go on a long trip somewhere in, in this in the commonwealth it's not uncommon for me to take somebody with me so i can get some work done right and it's also not uncommon when we're returning to town that we'll return to town and drive right in the middle of some stuff <laughs> and have to go to a scene and i white knuckle it every time every time if, you know it's not it hasn't been you i don't think but if we're pulling back into town and there's an emergency somewhere and somebody reaches down and hits the lights and siren and i just gotta watch not a fun feeling yeah it's, it's tough to do yeah all right so you were going to tell a story about lieutenant traversa and then we'll get back to oh the field training. <laughs> not so much of a st major story but <coughs> lieutenant traversa was my uh school resource officer back at uh my deconic days but I actually used to go to his office and talk with him every now and then. Once I was a senior or junior, got a little older, but one of the... Were you one of the uh, the SPO runners? Did you do that? No. <laughs> I, yes and no. Some Sometimes they would ask and I would, and other times it just... I said, no, thank you. There, there was a... Uh, there was always a group that was, you know, that was like their class. You know, student personnel office. Yeah, and they would come in, and that they would sit right across from from the, the school resource officer office. So you would inevitably really get to know, you know, that group, whatever you know it was for the 
that quarter of the year. Maybe they did it half a year, but um, and you know, I got that was you know being a school resource officer, kind of like being on the street. You tend to get to know students through unfortunate circumstances, but that group was that that was the type of group that you know I got to know you know under in other positive, circumstances yeah, yeah under positive circumstances so um i just i don't know i i thought that maybe you were out of that group but um well, i'm sure we connected in some other way and we yeah. certainly did on a field trip we had a out good of town. um we had a good i graduated in 2009 but we had a good group of big group of tight students and yeah a bunch of us used to just drop in and say hi that's and it was a, it was a big group that they came on the job here. Yeah, we actually have. Well, they were initially hired here, um, but now they're troopers, uh, Trooper Elliott and Trooper uh, Granger. Yeah. So it's been a strange thing to see if when you're in high school looking back on it now that you're you know you go to these the academy with these guys and yeah. You know, and then Brian uh, Officer Betters, mm -hmm. right? He was in that class. We were roommates actually uh, in college. So that, that was fun. That was the biggest recruit class we brought on, at least in my tenure. So ten of you graduated, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, so, but so you just in casual passing, you mentioned the word field trip. That's not what was discussed on the break, right? <laughs> you don't get to go overseas and describe it as a field trip. <laughs> I was being vague. <laughs> we were we were fortunate enough to go and. Uh, during high school go to Italy and he went with us and it was just amazing. So this Taconic Travel Club? Is it? it was, so um, John Flynn, who's a history teacher up at uh, Taconic, would put together a trip. It became yearly, I think, for the most part and I was fortunate to, to go on two trips with him. Um, and there was, you know, they would, the, the company that, um, that put together the trips, they would allow one chaperone for however many kids. So as um, students signed up, you know, John would pick chaperones. And, and like I said, I was fortunate to go on the trip twice. Um, you know, we went, uh, one trip we went to, uh, it was all Italy. Um, and then another one, did you go on the one to, uh, it was Paris, Italy and um, London. No, only Italy. you were the yeah. You were the just the Italy one. Was, was Mrs. Broderick Leferrier involved in these trips? No, no. no. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, I went with uh, let's see, uh, Grace Mary O'Connell, uh, who was the former dean of students at Taconic. Great lady to work with. Um, really enjoyed my time with her. I'm sure everybody, you know, was loved. Grace. I mean, she's just, she's a peach. Um, Mr. Bishop, who's the current uh, principal at Taconic, was on, I think, both trips with me. Dan Moon, who's a culinary teacher. Classmate of mine. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, and John Flynn, who, John had a little bit more of the stress because he was the organizer. Yeah. But, um, you know who else went one year? It was uh, uh, Sarah Madalena, who... Okay at the time was a guidance counselor at Taconic and sister to uh, Lieutenant Madeline and Sergeant Madeline. Absolutely. So, good cool. times. 
All right, so I have to ask you. Um, it, we're, we're several years, maybe close to 10 years, into uh, the staff pool that has come in to their interviews and said, Detective Bertelli was my D.A.R.E. officer. <laughs> but now we're several years into, Lieutenant Traversa was my school resource officer. How are you feeling about that? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, it was one of the joys of my career, you know, being in the schools. Um, I, hey, the fact that, you know, students that I had um, in D.A.R.E. are now like 30 and married. Yeah, it's a great feeling. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Lieutenant. <clears throat> it's an important function. Time flies. Yeah, right? How long have you been out of the school? Um, seven years. Yeah. Yeah. I came out in 2014 as a sergeant. I was a sergeant for two years, and I've been a lieutenant for five. So Wow. It's crazy. All right, let's uh, wrap up our conversation about field training. So you're two full weeks in, halfway through first phase. How's the task list going? I'd say we're checking off pretty good, mm-hmm. at least discussing a lot of the material. So, so for our viewers and listeners at home, uh, one of the elements of field training, it's, it's been greatly pared down from when I was a field training officer and actually uh, helped develop the manual. I think when I when I was a field training officer, there was just under 50 individual tasks. I think we've gotten that down to, what, around 20, mid-20s now. Um, But a task may be something as innocuous as patrol preparation, right? I mean, just, you know, getting ready to get out on the road. And the field training officer walks the probationer through it, and then after there's kind of a shift in responsibility, field training officer watches the probationer do it, and then they just evaluate. And so patrol preparation or whatever you know that's termed as now that's an easy one a complicated one might be something like domestic violence arrest or operating under the influence arrest and so the 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 way the program is set up it's kind of the crawl walk run model so it's observe demonstrate you know complete or what i don't know what the terms are now so the first time you get a oui the field training officer will do it and the probationer will watch and then you know if you get multiple ones the next time the probationer will do it and the field training officer will help and then eventually it gets to the probationer does it and the field training officer just grades them and you have to complete all of these tasks by the end of the field training program Uh, the problem becomes so you're on days right and um you know Days is very, very busy, but you're less likely to get some types of activity on the day shift than you say are on the evening shift or the midnight shift. It's just the nature, the different nature of the job. So if you start field training on days and you can't accomplish some things, then you you can go into second or third phase with a long, long task list. Uh, and you know, in in old old days, like I'll give you, we, we, this isn't a task anymore. Um, we used to have a specific task on crisis response, specifically like suspicious packages or explosives. You're not going to get that in 14 weeks necessarily. So the discuss that we would, we would set up scenarios just so we could get through some of the tasks um, because you, there was just stuff you wouldn't see in a regular course of patrol. And then we realized that some of those tasks were ridiculous because you could become a supervisor 
and never actually have seen one of those things in real life. So what's the point of putting a brand new officer through that? That's what we have the manuals for. So we can go back to, you know, kind of OJT. So um, making progress on the task list, kind of getting along in the car. It's just not grating on each other's nerves yet. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> it's inevitable. Um, I don't think we've mentioned the fact that, um, you know, not, not in today's show, that they that field training officers rotate. So although, you know, Alex is with Kyle, you know, for the next two weeks, mm-hmm. right, you're going to transition. You'll go to another shift, Kyle, and then Alex will get another trainee mm-hmm. who has already been with somebody for four weeks, and there's a little bit of a rotation going on. So, you know, it's not like, you know, you guys, you're doing well, you get along, and, you know, you're going to go through this program and, uh, you know, get on the street on your own, having only had the perspective of Alex. I was I was doing a little research looking for um, some old, old uh, lesson plan documentation, and inadvertently stumbled I found something that wasn't what I was looking for and inadvertently stumbled across a lesson plan that I had put together uh, for some range stuff when I came back from training with the Heckler and Koch International Training Division HNK makes firearms they used to run a training unit out of Sterling Virginia I had the opportunity to go down there and train and I stopped using this slide as part of my my own training stuff and I think I'm going to put it back in because every time I went to training with H&K the first slide in every one of their PowerPoints or their slide deck was their logo and then it just said this is not the way this is just a way Mm -hmm. right and law enforcement is very much about that there's no black and white way there's no A, B, C, D, E, F way to get to a particular outcome personalities matter differences in training matter and so there's there's nuances and and preferences and that's why field training officers rotate um by the end of field training the hope is that you will have seen at least three different versions of a way to get something done and if you know in cases where somebody it's extended that may be four different versions or five different versions but at the end of it, you're going to formulate, you know, take the good and, and discard what doesn't work for you, and you're going to formulate your own way, and then there'll be a different way of getting the objective done, uh, because we all approach situations a little bit differently depending on our experiences and our background and our training, um, and that that doesn't mean that any one way is is wrong, as long as you obey the rules, obey the law, treat people with respect, you know, are decent. And, and understanding if you get the job done you get the job done right how you navigate that is is a personal choice so field training is um field training is probably the most essential function in the police department for the future of the police department it's it's where our future and our legacy are built so you're in good hands we thank you for stepping up because it's not for everybody um Recruit, excuse me. <clears throat> Recruiting field training officers is not always easy. Um, field training officers burn out at a fairly high rate. They come out of field training. Sometimes they come back in. So that's that ebbs and flows. So it's a lot of work. Yeah, <clears throat> it's a lot of work. <clears throat> so let's change gears here quickly because we're almost out of time. <clears throat> 
So the lieutenant knows, you guys may not know, <laughs> we're about five years into what was supposed to be a five-year project to get a new station. It <laughs> uh, keeps, keeps slipping down the road. <clears throat> but the good news is we have been told that in, in the administration's eyes, the next major capital project to be undertaken is a new police department facility. And so we have done a feasibility study. It's about five years old now. And when we did the feasibility study five years ago, it was pretty much police department driven. Um, the approval of the mayor's office, some assistance getting the original financing in place, obviously through finance administration. But we were the only ones talking to the consultants. And so going into the end of 2020, in my conversations with the mayor, when she decided she was going to reprioritize this and we're going to move it forward, um, made two decisions. Decision number one was we're going to update, you know, the the feasibility study, get the consultant back in, engage them again, and have them take the five-year-old program and, and bring it up to date. Because availability of parcels has changed. Law enforcement in general has changed. Expectations on the department have changed, so we need to refresh that. And that, I was, I was happy about that. But the most important thing, the second decision she made that gave me great joy was she instructed the city's Department of Community Development to get involved and engage with the consultant. And so we had our second joint meeting between the feasibility consultant and DCD yesterday. Uh, the first one was about a month, five weeks ago. And in the intervening month, community development has turned the city planners loose on trying to find suitable parcels and sites that we may have missed in our first scrape of the city and so we had an hour-long meeting yesterday they went through their list um much more a, a completely different perspective on how you look at land use from what we were looking at and so Citywide, all the way out to the borders, they had original. They identified almost fifty parcels, and then they got that down to about thirty that you know would actually be something that should be looked at. And then, with their internal discussion, based on some input we gave them about citing criteria, they got it down to nineteen. And so they worked through all of those nineteen with us yesterday. Some of which just aren't viable because of existing usage on there. But out of those nineteen, we came up with five or six that are just amazing. <laughs> two or three of which were already on our list, and another two or three that we never would have thought of. So uh, they're they're going to the next phase in in the plan, and they're starting to look at the deeds for these parcels to see if there's any covenants or restrictions, and if they're not. Um, they're going to come back with, with a plan for us to like get ready to start doing some work with some site engineering stuff. So this is the most progress we've made on this project in five years. It was pretty cool to see. That's, that's good news. You know, any kind of progress is uh, on that project is, is good news, obviously. And, you know, I'm looking over at these guys. Chief, you and I, you know. I may never see it. They, <laughs> they could, like, dig tomorrow and, you know, at best we're going to see a few years in there but it really i mean you guys you'd be working out of if you're fortunate enough to get a new building in the next few years and, and you get you the majority of your career in it um and listen the building doesn't make the department the people make the department but the building really helps <laughs> no. so i i've said for my entire tenure as the chief we could manage the police department and have managed the police department off of the hood of a cruiser. We can do that. We have that skill set. 
we don't want to do it. And you know, somebody who's a member of the police advisory review board, like we know, we really hope that the public doesn't see this as just a money grab from the police department. Look, our our current facility is miserable. Right, the working conditions are miserable. We're not going to try to sugarcoat that. It's horrible. You don't like get up and say, "Oh, I want to report to 39 Allen Street today." It's a mess. But we don't want to build a new facility. You know, yes, I'd like our officers to work in better working conditions. That's not why we want to build a better police facility. We can provide better service to the community if we have a better facility. It, it, you know, we've talked about some of this in the program in the past. 39 Allen Street is not ADA compliant. It is not disability accessible. In 2021, that's not okay. Right? We have accommodations. We have workarounds. But we should be able to provide the same degree of services and scope of services to somebody with a physical or a cognitive disability as we do to anybody else. And the building shouldn't prevent us from doing that. And that's just the tip of the iceberg, right? Um, I was talking to some members of the PARB during Coffee with a Cop, and I was telling them about the issue we had with cell block inspection. Now, you know, it may not seem like it's something that people think about, but when we detain somebody, they're, we're supposed to treat them as humanely as possible, right? That's the whole point. They're in our care and custody. We're supposed to take care of them. And I didn't know this when I became a police officer. I've learned it, you know, subsequently as the chief. The Commonwealth requires that we be able to provide a certain volume of water at a certain temperature in the cell block when the hot water is turned on. In 39 Island, we can't do it. The, the distance between the boiler and the cell block and the frequency in which the water is run is too little in order for us to get that temperature of water in that volume to that cell block in the period of time. So we fail that element of the inspection. To fix it, they had to put like a gravity-fed hot water heater on top of the cells in the male cell block. That is not a good investment in a facility that's over 80 years old and falling apart, right? It's... it's we're fixing significant problems with band-aids. It's got to stop. So. Yeah, it, it, it's and not only the the fixes, but it's the capacity. You know, in in the tech world that we are, just getting the amount of um, you know computer terminals and and wiring in the building. It's it's always any time we want to do a project, it becomes problematic. And I'll point to the training that we've had to do. Um, during the pandemic and the fact that you know we've gone to online training so we have training days we've had to make some serious adjustments and changes just to get enough uh, computer terminals for officers to come in and do their training and you know they're, they're packed in different corners of the building and you know off all to imagine you know People at home who, you know, maybe on a Zoom call and they kind of go into a room on their own. Imagine, you know, six people in a room on Zoom all at, for, all at once. That's what it's like in our training room on Wednesdays, you know. So yeah. it's, we could go on and on. Forever. <laughs> all right. Uh, as we wrap up this morning, Officer Sawicki, Officer Dubay, thanks for joining us. Any final thoughts, anything you want to share? What are you most looking forward to in getting through field training? Uh, I would just say just enjoying the time out on the streets. It's nice interacting with people and just glad to be a part of it. Enjoy that. Yeah. Right. Th this, thank you for having us as well. Th this is, uh, th this, this is going to be the most significant 
change in uh, perspective and perception probably of your life in the next 12 weeks um, you're you're gonna see things and experience things and I, I, I wrote a blog entry last week about kind of like mental health and resiliency and it, it triggered this memory and so I'm just gonna say this you see things you're gonna hear things you're gonna smell things in the next 14 weeks that you never anticipated um, you know the sense of smell is a powerful powerful memory trigger um, for the good and in our line of work for the bad so uh, stand by for that so I'll, uh, I'll just tap on to that and say that um when I started 23 years ago, the chief was my FTO. So in another couple of years, maybe you guys can jump in and do the show. <laughs> on that topic, we do need to train some more people on the board this year, now, yeah. e even if they don't regularly participate at the show, just to get that skill set out there. Yeah, well, it'd be good. All right. So again, thanks for tuning in this morning. It is Friday February 26, 2021. You are listening to On Patrol with the PPD here on WTVR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, and simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television. I have been neglectful for the last several weeks to remind our viewers and listeners that On Patrol with the PPD is also now available as a podcast. So, um, you know, I've, I've taken into listening to a lot of podcasts in the last couple of years. Wherever you go and listen to your podcasts, whether it be Spotify or Stitcher or uh, Apple Podcasts, if you just get in the search bar and you put in On Patrol with PPD, you're going to find our pod podcast with all of our episodes for about the last nine months. Um, prior to that, you had to go to SoundCloud, which was not as intuitive. But uh, Lieutenant Bradford actually downloaded the podcast during our supervisory roundtable <laughs> on Wednesday. <clears throat> All right, so <clears throat> I'm not sure I can do the PSA today. Sorry. We'll get you a drink. Something in the air. <laughs> um, lots of stuff going on in the community this weekend. Um, check out the Cultural Pittsfield newsletter. Barrington Stage has got some of the, the new entrance into this year's 10 by 10 festival again 10 by 10 went all online uh, tons of stuff going on out of hancock shaker village uh, the weather is starting to change it's going to warm up a little bit so take advantage of that all of the cool things that people normally travel from all over the world to do here in the berkshires um they're ours they're ours for now and at least until the travel restrictions are lifted so do some of those things check out a museum uh Take a hike, you know, get out of the house, do something fun. Stay safe, stay healthy, be kind. And until next time, thanks for tuning in to On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM.